Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And today we're going international. Today I have a guest live, well, live for me, Skyping in from Dublin, Ireland. And I have Donal Scannell with me on the phone, and he is the CEO of Gigstarter. Now I'm going to let him tell you more about his background and about Gigstarter. But the reason I was so captivated to interview him is I have often thought about hosting an event, but I'm always worried about having to put a deposit down on a hotel and then not being able to sell tickets and not get anybody to come. And I've seen a lot of my friends who are professional speakers and trainers and consultants try to put on events only to lose a lot of money or to barely break even after all the effort that goes into planning an event. And Gigstarter just might be the answer to be able to solve that risk that comes along with hosting your own event if you're a speaker or a consultant or a podcaster. So, Donal, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. I like the idea that we've taken the show international, and uh, (laughs) if there's going to be someone calling in from another country, it's kind of exciting for me that the first one would be Ireland, because uh, that's where my grandmother and grandfather were born. So it's great to have you on the show. And why don't you tell everybody who's listening a little bit about your background, because you've had sort of an eclectic background in in media and music and business, and then let us know more about Gigstarter. Well, yeah, my background, I, I promoted my first event when I was 12, um, and I've promoted many, many since. I've been involved in the music industry, many different roles in the music industry, but also television, but also worked for some of the big uh, mobile phone operators here in Europe, uh, Vodafone and O2. Yeah, so quite a cross-section, but I guess for me, the, the unifying thing about my career has been bringing people together. And that whole um, point of the further we get into our digital world, the more important I think that is uh, people meeting uh, in real life. And which really brought me to Gigstarter. And, and the whole idea behind Gigstarter is, you know, helping people who have online communities such as yourself and helping people take those online communities and turn them into real life events where people gather around a common uh, purpose. And as you said in the wonderful introduction, um, we take the risk out of that. We let people do the fun stuff first, which is getting excited about an idea, getting people behind that idea to pledge to come and buy tickets if it's confirmed. And once you get enough interest and and you have enough pledges to cover your costs, the nuts and bolts of running an event like booking a room, booking a PA system, all of that is relatively easy. When you're not doing it with the specter of losing money hanging over you, you're doing it a fun way, you know what your budget is, and then you you cut the cloth to fit. And our whole thing is kind of, if we make it easier to run events, if we can take the pain out of running events, will people who had misapprehensions about running events then come and do it? So I'm fearless about running events because of the software we've written ourselves. So I see it as our mission to try and transmit that lack of fear to others. How can we make others feel as fearless as we do about events? Well, and I'm really active in the National Speakers Association here in the United States. And so I know a lot of people who have communities, who have following, who simply will not do their own events, specifically for what you stated, that that fear of the commitment of dollars and time up front. 
you know, before you know if there's actual interest can be can be really kind of scary. So, you know, you mentioned fear, but it also can be, you know, a lot of people are small business owners. They're solopreneurs. They really don't have the resources to pledge 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 or $100,000. So really what you're doing is you're putting that power into the crowd. And if the crowd says, yes, we want your event, then everything goes smoothly from there. Exactly, which which really chimes with one of the big narratives of our digital age, which is you don't create something until you verify demand, and 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 it's really that simple. And even from a from an ecological point of view, this whole idea of only creating things when demand is there. How can we be most efficient in terms of how we use our time, how we use our resources? But apart from that, there's also the fun element of your audience actually getting to be part of the process and getting to have a say as to how things shape out. So originally, Geekstarter was looking at the music industry and, and, and in the music industry, you know, by the time a fan finds out uh, a live show is happening, it's already gone through eight stages in the supply chain and the fan is given this binary choice, uh, buy a ticket or don't buy a ticket. Whereas in our model, the organizer goes straight to the end user right at the very start. And that's the whole point about the democratization of the internet and how it, how it shifts the balance of power. And I think you know, the use of crowdfunding and crowdsourcing to change how decisions are made and how things happen, for me, that's seismic. I think it's one of the biggest changes of our age. And we're only really at the start of seeing the impact of that as in how we organize ourselves as people. Well, and I have a lot of friends who have written books and, and, and self-published them and have actually raised the money up front on you know, some of these other uh, crowdsourcing platforms in order to be able to fund their books. So the fact that this could work for events makes a lot of sense. And then the fact that you've built in a lot of other aspects at the different levels of Gigstarter, where if you're not a seasoned event planner, or at least like in my case, I speak at yeah, I spoke at 63 events in 2014. Wow. So I, I'm an observer. Well, I'm not an event organizer. I'm an observer and I go to a lot of events. So I kind of know what goes into it because I wow. see a lot. But many people don't go to as many events as I do. So it would be scary to know how do you organize a room? How much coffee do you have to have? And, and you seem to have a lot of that built in for the novice that would really be useful. Yeah, and it's, it's all about um, eliminating barriers to entry. Because, you know, you, you find if there's something you don't know about and you start to immerse yourself in it, it's really interesting how quickly you amass information. And if you look at all the, the human time and energy wasted gathering information that other people already have. So why not share the information and why not make the information as available as possible so other people don't have to go through the same learnings that, that you go through? And it's that whole idea of just sharing information, sharing knowledge, because then we can all move forward. So if I can help you figure something out through my experiences and then you don't have to spend time, well, that's great. It's great that we can do that. And then you can do something else with your time and move on to new stuff and, and fun stuff. And that, that's been the core of it for us. It's just the whole thing of just learning something slowly over time and disseminating it as quickly as possible to people. And the event space in particular is one where traditionally people would have been quite guarded with their knowledge, as in, you know, your little black book was your power. But again, the internet has really smashed open this idea of holding information to yourself because the people that succeed now are the people that share information. And it's really interesting the way that shift has occurred. So the more information you share, the more goodwill and business comes towards you. And, and the authors are an example of this, you know, people who will blog profusely and share their knowledge. 
and what they're doing is building up an audience for the day when they when they publish a book and of course anyone who has published a book and self-published a book like you mentioned there these people already have a database who they could reach out to to do an event they have a way of contacting people who they can bring together and you know i think there's a real need for people to come together and i think the more of our day is spent um on apps and staring at screens, the more we need to be around people who we have commonality with. So it's kind of interesting that for me that the parallel growth in our our lives becoming more digitized, but also a parallel growth in a desire to, to be around other people. Well, you're absolutely right, because we live in this world, I call it a social media crazy world, where it's been a decade now since you know we've been introduced to all of these uh, social media tools, which are really now ubiquitous in our life. However, are we really better connected? When I talk to people, you know, introverts, extroverts, everybody thought somehow Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn were going to change the world. And, and to be fair, they have. And to be totally fair, they've changed it in what I think are very positive ways. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. And when I moved to Texas 23 years ago, I lost touch with a lot of people. And social media and this constantly being connected digitally has allowed me to reconnect and to keep relationships alive. However, when when I talk to people, most people don't feel like they have more friends or that they're more fulfilled with the relationships in their lives than they were before Facebook and LinkedIn came onto the scene. And I think that now more than ever, we are drawn to have this human-to-human engagement. And so my whole business has been built around helping people make those connections you know, at conferences or, or going in and doing training to teach you know, sales teams and others how to get involved in their, in their community, essentially. So I think what you're talking about is, is paramount to our future because I think more than ever, live events matter. Uh, a few years ago, people said, well, I think the live conference will die out because we could do everything you know, online now. And I think that the statistics show that there are more live conferences in 2015 than any other time in history. Yeah, and if you if you think about it, you know, the, if you could have a three minute conversation with somebody at a conference and exchange business cards, the difference between that and let's say knowing them uh, inverted commas online for three years, there is no comparison. And and one of the things I loved about South by Southwest the most were the people that I met that I would never ever ever have dreamed of reaching out to. Those random chance meetings that only happen when you make yourself open for for chatting with with people and that's why the work you do tom is so important because you give people permission to talk to strangers and you're enabling people to do something that they really want to do anyway you're not forcing them to do something they don't want to do you're saying okay here's the tools that i can share with you that'll make it super easy for you to strike up conversations and make the most of this conference that you're at and to be honest that's the power of every single conference it's not about the panels it's not about the speakers it's about the other people there that are attracted by the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up South by Southwest. I know that you had visited my lovely town of Austin uh, a week or so ago for South by Southwest, and we actually didn't meet. But the way no. that uh, Donnell ended up on the show was I met a representative from Enterprise Ireland, and we had a really great conversation, and he followed up with me because we met in person. If I had sent him a random LinkedIn request because he had a nice, you know, pleasant face on a LinkedIn profile, you know, we probably wouldn't have developed an ongoing conversation. But because 
because we had a chat at the Enterprise Ireland booth, uh, we had a few email exchanges, and I said, hey, I'm looking for some really interesting people for my podcast, and maybe someone from Ireland would be great, and he instantly connected me with you, and you know, a couple days later, we're, we're recording the show. That wouldn't have happened without that face-to-face uh, meeting that I had with Jonathan. Yeah, and and Jonathan is an amazing, amazing connector. Of course, it's what he he does for a living himself and Simone in in the Enterprise Ireland office there um, in the Valley. And they're really, really good at, at connecting people. But I think in America in particular, people place so much importance on on meeting people. And so I've gone to a lot of conferences. Um, and the thing that I really, really find is if someone has given you their business card at a conference and you follow that up with an email, you're talking over a 90% response rate. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I still don't know how people who meet so many people at conferences manage to remember all the people they meet or manage to know that you're emailing them off the back of a, of a, a card that they gave you. But it's amazing. There's nothing like it. You can meet someone, have a nice conversation with them, and it's like your friends for life. Because people want to like other people. People want to help other people. As a, 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 pure, a pure friend of mine said to me, he said, it's not, people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. And I have to thank Paul for that. Like an amazing, amazing comment. So, so I used to think at conferences, oh, you know, you have to really sell yourself well and you have to have your pitch down. It's just about being a nice person and, and sharing a few moments with somebody who, who makes them um, happy when you get in touch with them and, and gives them a positive uh, memory of, of that time when you exchange cards. I, I don't know if you find that to be true, Tom, as well. No, 100%. And I've, I've built my entire Conference Catalyst program out of trying to educate people to drop the elevator pitch. So often people think, oh, I have to memorize something cute and quippy about myself. And as soon as they meet someone at a conference, they flick a switch in their back and they say, hi, my name's Tom Singer. I've written 11 books. I speak all over the country. I have a podcast, blah, blah, blah. Just verbal vomit. They just throw up on the other person. And if you we were really in an elevator with someone who did that, when the elevator got to the lobby, you'd, you'd, you'd run. And yet that's how we teach people to go to a conference. It's like, you know, be funny, be quippy, tell them everything about yourself in three sentences. When in reality, if you just go be yourself and take an interest in people, if you let your curiosity about, you know, humans, you know, lead the way, you're going to have more success at a, at a conference. And that's why meeting professionals, you know, hire me to be their master of ceremonies or their opening speaker, because I remind people of just the, those basics. And yeah, you're, you're breaking the ice. I mean, a great conference organizer for me is a chap called Brian Zisk, who um, organized a music conference and a Bitcoin conference um, out of San Francisco. But himself and his wife, Susanna, they've just moved to Hawaii. And he's now been reaching out to his community saying, OK, well, we'd like to organize a community in Hawaii. Uh, will you come? And I met Brian at South by Southwest again last week. And I was like, well, Brian, what was the reaction to your email like? Did people say they'd come to Hawaii for your conference and he was like yeah they did they love it they love the idea and I was brilliant because I'd love to go to Hawaii <laughs> and it's this whole thing as well of how work I mean work for me is like socializing you know it's a it's a really great way to meet a lot of interesting people and it's a it's a really great way to have really interesting conversations with people that you wouldn't necessarily have in your personal life because you, you don't get to dive straight in and get really deep about a topic 
when when it's just friends and family and and so even though you don't do your elevator pitch and you're hitting people you're not hitting people with that at the start you still get to have these incredible conversations because you know that the person you're meeting has these shared interests and a certain level of knowledge by virtue of being at the same event as you so you get to go to places in like 30 seconds that you'd never get to go to in your local coffee shop when you meet your neighbor. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Donald, we could, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did you go from, I mean, you said you started your first event when you were 12. So obviously you've always yeah. had sort of this entrepreneurial organizer, you know, gene inside of you, but you did, you worked for big phone companies, you worked for in the television business. What really led you to becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I'm third generation entrepreneur. Or I have to say, for a start, um, and small business. So I mean, on my dad's side, uh, his his my grandfather on my dad's side was um, a hotelier. My great grandfather had a small farm. On my mother's side, my grandmother had a little sweet shop, and her husband repaired bicycles. And and uh, you know, both my parents have their businesses, and and my my wife's family run their business. And it's just always been around me. You know, it, there was. Like sometimes I feel that um, I'm unemployable and the only thing I can actually do is, is do my own thing because I've been doing it so, so long. Um, and it's a choice. It's a vocation to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's not about rewards. I think it's about wanting to try to prove something or, or do something with, with your talents. And sometimes I'm very envious of people who don't go down that route because there are a lot of benefits to not running your own uh, business. <laughs> so I guess it was always there. And it, it was always, I guess it was always this sense of looking at the world and seeing gaps and, and seeing things that didn't exist that I thought should exist. And, and to be honest, I'm not interested in things that already exist that that's probably a a plus and a minus you know i look at the world i'm like oh wow why don't we do that bit that's not there and be really interested in that because i mean to be honest i think it's how society progresses you know if you think of every single thing that we do in every day and you stop for a minute you go hang on a minute who was the first person that figured out you could eat a potato how did that happen (laughs) or who was the first person that figured out you could drink coffee beans when they were ground up like and think of all the time it took for all of these people and all that trial and error and every single moment of our daily life is a tribute to these nameless forebearers that we'll never meet and that for me like like that's how i think we all get along and that that's what i think makes living so great is the idea that we're all hopefully in some way contributing towards everyone else and, and how they get through their life, you know? So, so I mean, the, as I say, going back to the gaps, that's kind of how I look at things. Um, and there's different roles for different people as well. And, you know, not everyone does that. Other people are, are the people who can take something that already exists and make sure it really, really works. But then, you know, consumers who, who just consume and don't create are also really, really important as well because without consumers, there'd be nobody able to produce stuff. So I'm really interested, I guess, in this whole idea of community and how we all coexist and how everyone's got their different role to play, you know. And, and you know, it's really interesting how I think there's never a better time to be alive than right now. You know, whenever people ask, oh, is there a time in history you prefer to live? I always go, no, right now. I can't imagine any other time other than right now. And you, you deal with what's in front of you and you, you take the cards you've been dealt and you're like okay what's the best i can do with this you know what's what's the furthest i can go with this so 
so there was never a moment when I went, oh yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. There's been loads of moments when I went, oh God, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring up the fact that it is a great time to live in, in the history of mankind. My father passed away a year ago at the age of 99. He was almost 100 years old. And when I tell people the story, I always say, you know, he was born 11 years after the Wright brothers flew at Kitty Hawk. Oh so if you, you know, he was born in 1914, and if you think about the lifespan from 1914 until the very end of, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, to the very end of 2013, he saw so many changes wow. in technology, wow. and, wow. you know, he loved it. He was, you know, up until the, almost the very end, he was very sharp of what the changes were that were going on in the world, and he said that it, the changes all fell into technology and communication, how we were wired in our brains and how we felt about people and who we decided to like and trust. He said that hadn't changed. He always had a great symbol that if you wanted to see how similar man is 2,000 years later, you only had to go read the Bible. Because all the problems, all the problems that exist in the Bible were infidelity and lust and greed and wars and famine. I mean, he you know would cite through all the problems that existed in the Bible, wow. and he goes, "Those are That's the same amazing. problems." What a wise man! Those are the same problems we have today. So he said it was how we communicate that changed, and and he saw a lot of changes. But I agree with you. I'd rather live today than in in 1914, just from the standpoint of the communications. But the thing about communication is all that's really happened is communication has gotten faster. And that's been one of the main changes technologically. But I actually think crowdfunding is quite profound because crowdfunding and crowdsourcing is actually, as I said earlier, it's shifting the balance of power. It's, it's shifting the creation from the few to the many. And it, it's enabling more people to do more things. And, and I, I think in 50 years' time, when we look back at now, I think crowdfunding will really stand out as a really pivotal development um, in terms of how we organize ourselves. Like, I, I think it's, it's incredibly profound. So sometimes I sit down and I, I think of a business that hasn't been affected by crowdfunding. I close my eyes and go, okay, how could crowdfunding change this industry? And there's not an industry I've tried to think of where you can't see how it could fundamentally change it. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Like for me, the, the internet in itself is, is just a communication, a speed up of communication, an aggregation of data. But the actual crowdfunding piece for me is, is the piece that I think has got really, really fundamental impacts in terms of how, how the future is going to look and, and how we're going to organize that future. So what advice do you have for somebody? I mean, you clearly have a real passion for being an entrepreneur. I mean, I can hear it in your voice that you absolutely, you know, feel like you've, you've, you've found your path and your calling. But what if someone's listening to the show and, and they have that twang inside of them, but they're still working for the phone company and they're thinking, how, how do I go do my own thing? What advice do you have for them? Well, well, passion is key. It has to be something you're really, really passionate about. But, but once you get beyond that, um, Here's the thing you can do for free that only takes your time. It's if you have an idea, talk to people who will be your customers, who you would like to be your customers. Talk to them about your idea and see what they think about what you're proposing. And that's free. And that's a mistake a lot of people make is not doing that. You know, they just pursue a dream and an ideal and they have it all set up and then they open up on the first day online or in real life and there's no customers, and they wonder why. And, and, and you know, 
know, when you go to the whole lean canvas principles of uh, basically it's kind of, you know, boiled into crowdfunding as well. Don't create something until you're sure there's demand for it. And that's as simple as picking up the phone and talking to somebody who you think will buy what it is you're going to create. And that's the same whether you want to make cupcakes or whether you want to make software or whether you want to build cars. The exact same principles apply. And, and you can do that really early without leaving your job, without giving everything up, without risking your life savings. You can just investigate what it is that you want to do. And, you know, don't, don't rush into it on the romantic side of it. Because to be honest, that's something I did many, many times myself. You know, I'd, I would think of an idea and then I'd go and do it. And then, you know, a few years in, I'd be kind of wondering why it had stalled. Um, I think that preparation piece is really important. Um, but I also think society is becoming much more um, encouraging towards entrepreneurs. And, and I think that's essential because there's no such thing as a job for life anymore. So, <laughs> no, you know, so, so kids in school and kids in college today, you know, they're not facing into careers where they're going to work for the same company for 40 years. And, and ultimately, I think more and more and more people are going to be self-employed in one shape or form. And, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. I think people are losing some of the protections that come with being an employee and some of the perks and benefits. But, you know, ultimately, you know, having some control over your own destiny is, is a very, very good thing. But, yeah, I think in the future, I think being an entrepreneur will be the norm, you know, rather than being an employee. And if you look back, if you look at, you know, countries now whose economies wouldn't be as developed as ours, they're teeming with entrepreneurs, you know, like being an entrepreneur in a country that doesn't have a very developed uh, economy is the norm, you know. And whether you're the person who charges other people's phones, batter, phone batteries for a business, you know, that there's people making business out of things like that in in less developed economies. So, so I think the whole the whole entrepreneur thing is is it's kind of at the core of it's at the core of it exist in so many ways because you know trade is kind of at the core of how we communicate and i mean you could say in some respects that the idea of mass employment is only a, a relatively recent development you know the last 200 years or so was that we've had companies that have employed many many hundreds and then thousands of people so maybe we're just swinging back to something that society was structured like for many, many years. Well, and I've always thought the Irish are very naturally entrepreneurial and risk takers. I mean, if you just look at my, my mother's father came in 1900, he was 16 years old and both of his parents had died and he had five younger siblings and he was 16 and he had a brother uh -huh. who was 20 who lived in Chicago, Illinois in the United States. And he sent a telegram saying, you know, I, I don't know if the mother or the, I guess his father died second. And he said, what do I do? And the brother said, sell the farm and bring the family to America. We'll figure it out. And literally wow. at 16, he sold the farm and packed up his four or five brothers and sisters on a boat and started off for a new life. And, you know, back at that that time in history, you know, Ireland was having some problems. But if you look at the, you know, the risks that the Irish took and they came to America and they started with nothing and really helped build my country, you know, through, you know, their hard work and their risk taking and a lot of entrepreneurial ventures. My grandparents were always, you know, in addition to having a job, were always working for extra ways to, you know, be able to support their family. And now you look at Ireland and I think Ireland is one of the, the jewels of Europe when it comes to entrepreneurialism and startups and technology. 
so I think that it was always there in sort of the Irish culture, and they just needed that time to come. So what's going on in Ireland right now that's really cool when it comes to entrepreneurship? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's interesting that whole you know, emigrant to immigrant um, dynamic in, in terms of the hard work when you have less to lose, how hard you're working. You know, one of the downsides of a country doing well is the next generation has less hunger. So, so that's something we're, we're really trying to manage is, you know, is to make sure that we, that entrepreneurs stay hungry and stay focused. So there's massive opportunities in Ireland. But I think one thing that the last 10 years has really come, brought for us is we've stopped relying on our domestic market. And, we, we, you know, business people have stopped thinking about uh, their businesses just in terms of Ireland. And the downturn really focused us to do that, really forced us to, to look abroad. So that's been really, really positive. So you're getting many more businesses in Ireland that are fully international businesses right from the get-go. And, and, and that really massively increases the potential of a business. Because, you know, we're a country with five million people living here. And when you're building a business to address a market like the U.S. rather than Ireland, it fundamentally changes uh, how you how you organize a business. So there's a lot of companies like that coming through, and we're kind of at the first wave of the success stories of those companies. And as these companies get successful and as the people running these companies um, manage to exit from the companies, that's when things are going to get really exciting because we're going to have a wave of angels feeding back into the next wave of entrepreneurs. And, and that's a real gap here at the moment. We don't have enough of that class. You know, the people at Silicon Valley and Austin is teaming with, you know, people already have had successes. So there's a lot of great stuff happening here, but we're only at the beginning. We're, we're such early days in, in terms of the story. And, and I mean that in a good way. You know, what you're seeing now is only the start. There's wave after wave of this to come yet. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest thing your company's doing right now? Well, I suppose trying to uh, kill the fear you know, get rid of the fear of losing money. I mean, I, I think fear is is such a wasted thing or fear causes you to waste so much time and energy. I think it's at the root of so much wasted energy. So yeah, doing that, like that we're fear killers. Um, that's really cool for me at a fundamental level, you know, to try and just help people get rid of that. And what's something you see somebody else doing? I always love to ask this question because I think great entrepreneurs are observers and they can talk about themselves all day long, but I think the best ones are watching what someone else is doing. So what's a cool thing someone else is doing that you'd like to tell people about? Well, I mean, I, I know for people who read the tech pages, it's been everywhere. Um, but uh, what Meerkat have done in a very short space of time is amazing. But but when you look at so Meerkat is a way that allows you to stream video really easily just from Twitter. But the really interesting thing about Meerkat is, like most tech success stories, it's uh, an overnight success that was four years in the making. <laughs> you know, and the, the team behind Meerkat, they had a product that they brought to market and got 400,000 users, but stopped it because it wasn't right. And they retooled and came back out. And, you know, for me, it's it's no coincidence that Meerkat launched into the world a month before South by Southwest and surfed on the back of South by Southwest. I mean, for me, that timing is no coincidence at all. So I really, really love what they're doing just for the real simplicity of it. And I think... As a the business owner, it's all about simplicity. And, and I, I say that running a business is storytelling. 
And what you're trying to do is make your story as simple as possible. And so Meerkat for me is an example of a really, really simple story, really well told. And, you know, some of my greatest frustrations with my own business comes from trying to make our story simpler. You're, you crave simplicity and you're just trying to find a way. And there are people who've done it really, really well. And for anyone who hasn't heard of Meerkat, even to go back and just look over the last month and Google the different coverage and see how they've grown, it's a masterclass in how to use, they come off the back of Product Hunt, which has become this really great way to see new products. And Product Hunt is a great innovation in itself. That's a cool thing entrepreneurs are doing. But Meerkat were the first success story to blow up out of Product Hunt. And their timing was just amazing. And when you see something like that, it's almost like watching a ballet. You know, it's just poetry in motion, play by play by play, seeing it all roll out and going, oh my God, these guys are just on it. So, Donal, I also think, in addition to being observers, that great entrepreneurs like to find ways to give back. They like to leave their mark on the greater good. What's something that you or your company does, you know, to sort of, to sort of help others? Well, you know, we, we really, our platform can really help organize advocacy groups and organize charity events in a really, really efficient way. So right now, there's a, there's a big referendum in Ireland on uh, equality uh, at the end of next month. So our platform's been used to organize a whole bunch of grassroots tea and coffee get-togethers so people can get together and talk about the issues. And it's a very gentle, gentle kind of advocacy. So that's something that uh, a good few members of the team are devoting themselves to at the moment and for us that's really 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 interesting again it's, it's all about organizing people and and finding better ways to organize people and better ways to use technology to have an impact in in real life so i really appreciate you skyping in and being part of cool things entrepreneurs do this has been i think one of the most fascinating interviews i think that the audience is going to be really really thrilled with the conversation that we had if people listening want to know more about you or they want to know how to find out about gigstarter i think a lot of my consultant and speaker friends are going to want to log on to your site and learn more about what you have have, how can they find you? Gigstarter.com. Uh, they'll be able to get the information they need there and, and get in touch. And uh, Tom, it was so great to have this conversation and so good of you to reach out and have me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And who knows, you know, maybe in six months we'll be back doing a post-mortem of that great event you organized with the crowd. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if after the back of this podcast, lots of people are getting in touch going, Tom, do it. Do the event. We really want it. Well, I think I'm going to log on and figure out how to, uh, how to structure a Gigstarter campaign and see if we can't put something together. You know, I, I always think that uh, the nice part about living in Austin, Texas, is I think people always like the idea of coming to Austin, Texas. Uh, not everybody point. gets a chance to go to South by Southwest. So uh, maybe, maybe I will give it a try and see if we uh, can get some traction and put an event together. And you're right, that would be a fun follow-up interview to talk about how the product worked and how the event went. Brilliant. Tom, thank you so much. I can't wait to meet you in person. Excellent. Well, certainly uh, I want to come back to Ireland. It's one of my favorite places I've ever visited. Uh, but also, if, if your travels bring you back to Austin, be sure to look me up. So again, thanks for being on the show. And for those of you who listen, thank you very much for sharing in these conversations that I get to have with some very cool entrepreneurs doing very cool things. Uh, if you enjoy the show, go ahead and uh, download it on iTunes and leave a review. Uh, those reviews always help, and it helps a, a somewhat new show, although I've been around, I think, six months now. It helps a show get found by other people. So leave a review and you can follow us on Facebook at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do and on Twitter at Cool Podcast or you can always follow me on Twitter at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of days with another great interview. And in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.